Specialty Story, session number 116. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. If you haven't already and you're in medical school, I know you typically will have a Facebook group or something special to your class. I would love for you to share this podcast in that group. I've I've had students share a screenshot showing that they're sharing this. I've had notifications from like medical school's newsletters going out to students about this podcast. I want you to share this, right? It's it's not going to hurt you. Right, the whole competition. I don't want to. I don't want to let people know about Pathoma and how wonderful it is, or whatever you're using to study these days for Step One. Uh, but I would encourage you to share this podcast. I would appreciate it a ton. Now, this week I have a great guest, Dr. Michelle Dolan, a pathologist at the University of Minnesota. She's a program director, fellowship. Now, she's a residency director, and we're going to dive into what it's like for residents or to applying for residency, what it's like to go through residency as a pathology resident, and much more. So I hope you enjoy this episode again with Dr. Michelle Dolan. Well, this was, I've been one of these people who always knew what I didn't want to do. And I always envied my med school classmates who always did know what they wanted to do, or at least found rotations where they really felt comfortable or turned on or excited about the field. And I kind of wasn't finding anything. So I had remembered that during our second year path course, one of our lecturers, uh, who was also from the Hennepin County Medical Center, said to us, just think about doing a path rotation. She said, you, you probably, none of us, you know, none of you out in the um, med school class comes into med school thinking that you want to do pathology. But just think about it. She said, you're going to need a non-clinical rotation at some point. And we had that as a requirement where we had to do both clinical and non-clinical. So that struck me. And so I did do a path rotation and I absolutely loved it. And Kind of then the two choices for me towards the end of my med school career were, was I going to do internal medicine or pathology? And there was a lot about internal medicine that drew me. Uh, obviously, the hands-on patient care, that's what brings most of us into the field, I think. Um, but there were some things that I didn't. And the approach I took was back then in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, was that pathology was a five-year residency. Now it's currently four. One of those five years could be a, an intern year, a clinical year. And so I thought, well, I'll do an internship in internal medicine that will still count for me regardless of whether I choose medicine or pathology. So I was kind of kicking the can a little bit, but that was what gave me enough experience in internal medicine to know that I really liked hospital care. That was before the advent of hospitalists. Mm -hmm. 
but I didn't really like clinical. You know, the the day-to-day clinic where you're seeing a bunch of patients, you're juggling a lot of different tests going on at the same time. I was kind of someone who knew that I needed a little bit of time to process things myself. So I kind of liked the kind of slower pace of pathology. So that first year was very helpful to me. So I guess that's when I really knew that that's what I wanted to do. Oh, very cool. What traits do you think lead to someone being a good pathologist? You know, there's not really one good trait, just as for any other field, there's not one good thing. I think some of the things that we look for is the ability to focus. So for example, I'll, I'll use my own lab as an example. I'm, I practice in cytogenetics and the technologists in our lab have to be able, those who are doing G-banded or chromosome studies need to be able to sit in one place for an extended period of time at the microscope or now at the computer screen and just be able to focus. And if you're going into anatomic pathology, for example, a good chunk of your day is going to be spent slapping glass, as they say, where you just sit at the microscope and you look at a lot of different cases. Now, not every field in pathology is like that. One of the things that I love about PATH and hopefully we'll talk about is how varied it is. And so you, you know, you don't have to think, well, gosh, I hate sitting in one place. Therefore, there's no place for me in pathology. Absolutely not true. You just have to be able to find that good fit for yourself. And also because pathology is so varied, there are people who are very visual and love learning by seeing. There's also other parts where it's much more conceptual or in the brain, so to speak, where you learn a lot by reading and just thinking. So there's other areas then where there's also learning by doing. So I think one thing that's helpful is to know yourself. So applicants should know what they like, what, how do they learn best, and just to educate themselves about the broad variety that pathology has to offer, rather than just thinking it's like, you know, Quincy on, you know, the old TV show where, you know, pathology is just about forensics or just about doing autopsies. Absolutely not. So talk about cytogenetics for a minute. I I think a lot of students listening to this may probably have never heard of that term before in, in respect to being a pathologist. Right. So when, and there's, I'll be honest, there's not many trained pathologists who are also cytogeneticists. We're also, we're kind, we're kind of a rare breed. Um, but it's not to say that it's not a good fit because it really is. And, it, you know, kind of when I started out and said, well, I always knew what I didn't want to do and not what I did. Well, the same kind of held true in pathology where once I got here, I thought, you know, I don't really know if I want to slap glass all day, every day. I liked the visual. I loved my histology course in med school. But I was still going through my rotations within my path residency, kind of trying to find a good fit. And then when I did my cytogenetics rotation, everything just kind of clicked. And it was perfect for my temperament and what I like to do. It was a mix of visual and also the conceptual and trying to make diagnoses off of these really weird looking little gray gray and black, you know, lines, these chromosome things that, you know, seems to be a whole different language. 
And so once I had this exposure, and that's again, the benefit of a path residency is residents get exposed to virtually every area within pathology. You can see what what you like or what you don't like, what's a good fit, what isn't. And you can plan your career from there. So cytogenetics for us, it's a very, very uh, broad field. We look at patients from prenatal patients all the way to, you know, geriatric patients. So we look at the entire lifespan. We do um, testing on a, just about any body tissue you can think of. And critical to my enjoyment of my job is I get to know and work with clinicians from a huge number of different fields, pediatrics, genetics, um, molecular, oncologists, hematologists, kind of you name it, cytogenetics has some connection to it. And if it doesn't, well, I'm also boarded in molecular pathology. And so molecular and cytogenetics kind of go hand in hand nowadays. There are so many tests now coming on board for molecular testing most of which are housed in pathology laboratories, that those connections among the different fields of medicine are only going to grow. How do you recommend, if a medical student is listening to this, or or kind of big picture for the field of pathology, there's so many misconceptions, and we'll dive into that in a little bit, but I would say that probably the majority, if not all medical schools, don't have pathology as a required rotation in medical school. How do we get students who may be amazing pathologists to get exposed to pathology? That is the $64,000 question, and I hoped you would ask it because it is a huge issue that's being faced by pathology programs throughout the country. We're seeing a very striking decrease in the number of U.S. graduates, U.S. med school graduates choosing pathology. We don't know why. I mean, pathology has long been the best kept secret primarily because it is a great lifestyle choice. Um, It's great for people who have young or growing families. Um, It's just really, I mean, really it is, people are surprised when it's kind of like people coming to Minneapolis where they say, gosh, this is kind of a nice place to live. It's kind (laughs) of the same in pathology where they say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was what pathology was like. And this is largely being driven by the fact that there's so much curriculum change in med schools now that pathology is getting kind of shorted on some face time. And so it's very difficult to engage students. I mean, sometimes I worry that what we leave them with is this impression that, yeah, yeah, we're the people who come in and give these really boring PowerPoint lectures. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's what pathology is all about. So it's incumbent upon us in the field and particularly me as a program director to try to be creative in coming up with ways to engage students. One of them is through a pathology interest group, which we have and is actually quite active here at the U. We also offer what's called a post-sophomore fellowship, which is an entire year that is spent between the first two basic science years and years three and four. It's kind of a hiatus year where the PSF works essentially like a pathology resident. Now, a number of the people in our program who have done PSF years do go on 
into pathology, but a number of them also don't. We've had surgeons, we have, we've had internal medicine, we have derm, you know, people who have done uh, PSF years who have gone into derm and, and dermatologic surgery. It's a great way, it's a great year to learn your clinical medicine because really pathology requires a lot of knowledge of clinical medicine. And because we do test the broad spectrum of, you know, prenatal to geriatric patients, it's, it's very helpful for people going into other fields to have a firm understanding of pathology. Do you think that there's some amount of potentially ego for most students or like, I'm going into medicine to save people's lives. Why would I want to entertain this idea of going into something where they assume they can't have a big impact on people's lives? Yep. Right. And, well, and I use that term assume, right? Uh, strategically. Right, right. And, you know, a lot of people do think that, you know, and this is, this was common when I switched from internal medicine to path where people, and so we're talking 20 plus years ago where they're saying, oh, but Michelle, you know, you're so good with people. You know, I think they think we're kind of like, you know, sociopaths who just like to sit in the basement and not interact with people at all. And you'd think that is a really weird out there stereotype. But I still hear it from interviewees who are coming to interview for our residency who will say, oh, yeah, my internal medicine or my peds director, or my family practice director thought, oh, why are you going into PATH? Because you're so good with people. <laughs> so that is, you know, a big kind of point of contention with a lot of us in pathology because so much of our jobs in all of the broad swath of pathology, requires interaction with clinicians. There is also a very strong drive now in pathology to be out there more interacting with patients. We've had, for example, initiatives here where it's uh, C-diagnose uh, C and treat, uh, which is, it was an uh, uh, initiative put forth by the College of American Pathologists where women who were from underserved areas would be able to come in and have a pap smear done. They would be able to see that those cells underneath the microscope. They would be able to have a diagnosis made right at that time and an interaction with the pathologist to be able to help them move forward with their care. Also, given that there are so many new advances in very complex lab tests, primarily next generation sequencing, other cytogenetic and genomic testing, that it kind of requires people who are very skilled in this area to be able to translate those complex results to the patient. So there's really a, a initiative in our field to be more patient-centered. Now that said, our whole work is patient-centered. We're the ones who make, you know, 70% of the diagnoses are made in the lab by lab results. Has there been, does every PATH resident have to make the decision that yes, most pathologists don't have a day-to-day -day interaction with patients. Yes, absolutely. That was one of the hardest things for me to give up in internal medicine when I left medicine was I really liked working with patients. That said, there's also some downsides to that. I mean, it's not all, you can't romanticize the daily work that's involved 
in dealing with patients. And there are times where, particularly by people who just love the science and love thinking about things and understanding pathophysiology, I mean, path is tailor-made for them. I don't know if that answered your question. I kind of got going there. And No, that's okay. Um, let's, let's not uh, joke ourselves that for a lot of students the the monetary reward is something that drives a specialty choice how has reimbursement changes affected pathology well that's a big question that to be honest with you i'm a little bit protected from in academia because i don't need to worry about a lot a lot of the billing is to be honest with you taken care of for me also, I'm in an area where even though you would think cytogenetics and genomics is really out there, doesn't everybody want this type of complex testing? Yes, very much so. But do insurance companies reimburse for it? Not very well. So some of the more complex testing we have to do and are asked to do and want to do to be out there on the, the you know leading edge has to be kind of subsidized by the bread and butter stuff. The, um, you know, the, the people, the pathologists in our department who do quote unquote slap glass, the ones who are making those diagnoses and kind of generating that funding that will support some of this more esoteric testing. Pathology does have a very large uh, professional footprint primarily in a group called the College of American Pathologists, which I've mentioned earlier. They have a very strong advocacy role in Washington, and they have pushed very strongly for better reimbursement for pathologists. That said, you can't get around the fact that, yes, indeed, there's a fair amount of disparity where the procedural-based fields do generate more income, more revenue than do primary care. And it's, it's a terrible shame and inequity because obviously we have a great need in our country for people who think carefully and who take the whole patient into consideration. I'm thinking your primary care docs, that those fields should also have much better equity in terms of their pay. So I wouldn't let, you know, if, if everyone were going by money, then we would have kind of a skewing towards the procedural based fields. And unfortunately, that's kind of what we're seeing. Yeah. For for the student who may be interested in pathology, but may not have that opportunity to go and, and explore it in depth. What would you recommend he or she do maybe during their internal medicine rotations, during their surgery rotations to try to expose themselves to what pathology is doing day in and day out? Yeah, a lot of what we will hear from our resident applicants is they found themselves and sometimes, to be honest with you, they were kind of surprised to find themselves less interested in the surgery or in the procedure or in the direct patient care than they were about seeing what happened to that specimen that they took. Maybe they did a paracentesis on a patient and they actually were kind of curious as to what those cells were in that fluid. Maybe they helped to take care of a patient in the emergency room who had a super high white count, 
gosh, they were kind of interested to see what those blasts look like when they made the diagnosis of acute leukemia. So I, what I've heard and seen in letters of recommendation and heard from applicants is that typically attendings on those other rotations are actually quite supportive. When they realize someone has an interest in pathology, they actually encourage them to go follow it up in the pathology lab. Now, it's very easy to just say, oh, call the lab. Well, the lab is oftentimes a very big place. So what I would recommend to third and fourth year med students on their rotation is that they just kind of familiarize themselves with their hospital laboratory. Where is surgical pathology done? Where is chemistry done? What happens to all of those daily CBCs and diffs and chemistry uh, tests that they're sending off on their patients? Where are they run? How are those results evaluated? One thing to bear in mind that med students and even clinicians, trainees and clinicians out on the wards don't think about too often is they'll, they'll take those chemistry results and say, yep, that's the truth. But how do you know that that's the truth? How do you know that that test has been properly validated? What are the strengths and limitations of those tests? What are their positive predictive values, negative predictive values? Things that seem kind of esoteric, but things that are very important to know. Not, you know, tests have false positives and false negatives. So the more that med students can become familiar with the strengths of those tests, whether or not they go into pathology, it's going to benefit them in understanding those tests that they're ordering and interpreting on their patients. So I think what I heard you just say is that we can look at a lab results and go, this is fake news, potentially. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know what you're saying. No, I, I think it's it's a valid we, point. I mean, that's, that's incumbent upon us in pathology. And, and one thing to think about is that Oftentimes what you'll hear, like for example, in our own department, it's not just called the Department of Pathology, it's called the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology. Mm. Much that goes into laboratory medicine is knowing the backstory of those results. A lot of test results, particularly chemistries, CBCs, et cetera, those are automated results. But you can't just buy an instrument and say, yep, we are good to go. There's extensive validations. There's understanding false positives, false negatives, et cetera. Sensitivity, specificity. How low can you go to detect, you know, if someone has very minimal residual leukemia, how confident am I in saying that there's no disease or that there's a little bit of disease. So these are all important things that, again, it's very easy when you're on the wards, I've been there, to just say, yep, his white count is 6.7 and platelets are 132. It's so exact. It's such a nice, you know, yes or no number, but there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. And the more that anyone, pathologist or practicing physician knows about that, the better off they and their patients will be. What does the day in the life of a resident pathologist look like? A lot depends on what their rotations are. Uh, We offer both anatomic and clinical pathology. So there's kind of two divisions, two legs to the the pathologist, essentially. There's the anatomic pathologist. Those are the ones who are typically looking at tissues under the microscope when they come out of a patient in surgery, for example. Then there's clinical pathologists who are involved in hematopathology, looking at bone marrow biopsies, 
clinical chemists, um, cytogeneticists, molecular diagnosticians, immunologists, blood bankers. So it kind of depends on what rotation a resident is on. If they're on an AP rotation, they are looking at slides a good chunk of the day. They may be grossing in specimens, that is processing specimens to cut them and look at them or get them onto slides so that they can look at them under the microscope. They may be doing frozen sections, that is running back and forth uh, between the OR and the grossing room where they actually do immediate evaluations of tissues. Whereas, and in cytopathology, they may be out doing a fine needle aspirate. They may be out doing an adequacy assessment if someone's having a procedure done under ultrasound or uh, interventional radiology guidance. Whereas if they're on a clinical pathology rotation, if they're on blood bank, they may be out doing um, transfusion reaction workups. They may be consulting on apheresis patients. If they're doing heme path, they might be out doing a bone marrow biopsy or, you know, at the microscope evaluating bone marrows. So it's very clinically driven. Each of our specimens is a patient. And yes, we have to, those of us in pathology who have made the choice not to be directly involved in patient care, we still want to help patients. So we just realize that we're helping patients by looking at and processing all of these specimens properly. What should a medical student be doing to make him or herself competitive for pathology residency? You know, a lot of times people, some of our applicants will almost try to do a mini residency where that is every single one of their rotations has been skewed towards pathology, which is not a bad thing. But the thing of it is, is I always say, well, you'll have four years to become a pathologist. What I'd really like you to learn well is clinical medicine. This is your chance to get exposed to all of that wide patient spectrum. So now's your chance to do really good focused clinical rotations, we will help you to become a pathologist. Yes, they should do a basic pathology rotation. Not only will it confirm for them whether it's kind of a good fit, i.e. they like what they see, it fits with their personality and their, their goals for their career, but also so that they can hopefully develop a good working relationship with a mentor who might be able to give them a good letter of recommendation. It is helpful for program directors to know that the applicant actually kind of knows what pathology is all about and that they don't come into it thinking that it's all just, you know, forensics or autopsies or, or mm. something that they might have, or that it's CSI, that's even worse. <laughs> that they think, you know, give me a cell and I'll be able to tell you everything. TV shows are even ruining, path, ruining pathology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but really they should know their clinical medicine as best as they can. Well, I think it helps, right? If you think the, the joke for radiologists is always that they write, please clinically correlate. And it, I think you need that, that clinical foundation to understand what you're looking at and, and think for yourself how it clinically correlates. And, you know, a lot of pathology, I think, sometimes has the um, the aura that, well, we'll give you a specimen and you will give us the answer. And that's the only answer. Yep. Not true. I mean, we consult among ourselves 
a lot. There's not just one answer to things. There are things that are mimics of cancer. You have to be careful not to overcall something. You have to be careful not to undercall something. There's often not the definitive answer that people are expecting. Sometimes applicants will come to us and say, well, you know, I kind of didn't like the uncertainty of this, that, or the other primary care field. I want to know what the truth is. And it's like, I always have to tell them, well, be, just be aware. You're not necessarily going to find it here. Yes, certain things, you look at it under the microscope and boom, that's your diagnosis. There are others that are very, very challenging. For the osteopathic medical student listening to this, what does he or she need to do to potentially overcome any negative bias towards osteopathic residents or graduates? If there is such a bias, we have certainly never seen it because we have a lot of DOs come through our program. We, We have a lot of applicants who are DOs. And in fact, one of our, really one of our strongest residents, she was one of our chiefs, was a a DO, and she's now just left us uh, to start her cytopathology fellowship. Um, Really, we've had DOs in this program pretty much as long as I've been involved with it. So again, I give the same advice in terms of knowing clinical medicine, but I have not come across any bias towards DOs. Again, they've really proven themselves to be outstanding pathologists. What is uh, a student or what should a student be doing uh, on a rotation, assuming they can they can do an away rotation with you? What should a student be doing to show that that he or she is capable of being a great resident for you? Well, you know, I always tell residents that or at least the residents when they're, you know, I, they, I give them my little kind of intro spiel is that they will get out of a residency, what they will, what they put into it. And that is true no matter what field of medicine you're in and no matter what endeavor in life you're undertaking. So really that's, I I can't give much better advice. I mean, what we want to see is someone who truly is interested in pathology. I mean, you don't, you want to see active engagement. I mean, teaching is much more fun in general if you have a receptive audience or at least an audience that interacts with you. So you want to see people who kind of have some drive. They're interested in it. They want to see things. They want to participate and actively do things. Um, pathology is very active. It's not just passive sitting there, you know, let's just look at things. See, much of pathology, at least in particular anatomic pathology, is learned by seeing a lot of a lot of slides. And there, a resident can't be exposed to every entity that's in Robbins or other you know huge pathology textbooks. They're going to have to do a lot of independent learning and reading and looking at the great images that are now available online. So we kind of want to see some of that initiative as well, much like they would show in any other rotation that they're interested in. They're going to maybe get there early, stay late, participate in as many different conferences as possible, ask questions, show that they're interested. Yeah, that's, that's and really, it's a good question. It's kind of a tough question to answer because we... Do, we don't put a whole lot of, you know, you, I don't know if 
people are familiar with uh, our end of, of ARIS, but you know, you can put filters on things where you say, you know, I've got 500 applicants and I can't get through all of them. I'm going to have to look at only, you know, graduates from this area or board scores of that or what have you. Mm. We really don't do that. So we get a lot of requests from people saying, can you please tell me what your requirements are for your program? It's like, well, we don't really have any. We've had people who, um, you know, you just based on paper, you would say, oh, my gosh, you know, they're probably going to be really, you know, struggling through some of this stuff. Maybe they've had a couple fails on some of their steps. But, you know, they've overcome that. They have been we have, in fact, uh, uh, have had multiple examples where people maybe have needed to take a leave of absence from their uh, med school for whatever reason, be it personal or uh educational, what have you, who when they are ready and when they start applying, they've overcome that, they've put it behind them, they are stronger for it, and they are really, really strong residents. So we, we're probably kind of liberal up here in the sense of not judging people on paper and being willing to give people a second chance, because we realize there's a lot going on in people's lives in med school. And sometimes it's just not reflected well on paper. So I guess one mistake is to not apply thinking, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get in because I've had, you know, too many, you know, step issues or, or whatever. I would still apply. The other, it, it's not so much a mistake, just a misplaced emphasis, as I mentioned earlier, which is to try to do a mini path residency in effect by having multiple different, you know, areas that you've done rotations in instead of just strongly focusing on um, your clinical knowledge. If you could go back and tell your early pre-pathology self what life would be like as a pathologist, what would you tell yourself? One, which is hang in there because just because you don't, you just because you haven't identified the the key to everything just because you're looking for the perfect fit you're the square peg going into multiple round holes don't worry you will find that square hole eventually keep an open mind because for example i in well this is actually in my residency but it, it's kind of analogous i kept my forensics rotation to the very, very end. Cause I thought I'm going to hate it. And I just, I just don't want to deal with it. I want to get everything else done and I'll just do it as kind of like an add on at the end of my residency. Well, I absolutely loved it. And had I just had an open mind and done it a little bit earlier, my whole career might be very, very different. Cause I had my fellowship by that point and there was no way I could go back. But I think it's just important to be patient. We see a number of people come through our applications uh, every year who were kind of like me. You know, it just didn't find anything that really clicked. But then when they when they did their path rotation, it it just clicked. I don't know how many times I've heard that in interviews. So be patient with yourself. And just keep an open mind and maybe try something that you 
can't imagine yourself liking, but it might surprise you. What do you like the most about being a pathologist? I love the fact that I get to interact with so many clinicians. I mean, I have, we're, we deal with them and interact with them, call them, share results with them, meet, you know, at conferences with them, like all the time. And it's just so rewarding because you get a sense from them as to what their struggles are. What do they need from us to be able to make a diagnosis? How we can actually truly help them? Because sometimes it it can seem like we're just data generators and it's like, well, you know, does our, does our, do our results really make a difference? And by interacting with and, and, helping clinicians work through and with our data, we see that it really does make a difference. So we've made some calls that have literally been life-saving. So it's, yeah, they don't happen every day, but they happen quite frequently. And no matter what field in pathology you get into, you make those calls and it, it's tremendously rewarding when, when, they, when they happen. What do you like the least? Uh, I think one thing is, you know, there's a sense that there's so much in pathology that you can't master in a way. It's like, you know, there's not many people who can be a solo family practitioner anymore. I, I initially started med school thinking that I wanted to be a rural family physician, but there's just so much to know. And it's the same with pathology. There's just so much, and it is becoming more and more subspecialized. So that's one field. One thing is the the feeling that you'll never master everything. And, but in fact, you have to realize you can't. And just the fact that, you know, we are not immune from making mistakes. We're not immune from making misses that have significant negative ramifications on patient care. And it's a, it can be a difficult, almost paralyzing fear that you can develop, you know, looking at a case and saying, am I going to miss this? Am I missing anything? What's going to happen? You look at an amniotic fluid specimen and you say, oh gosh, I got to wait six months till the baby's born to learn whether I made a mistake. You know, you, you have, it's something that comes with time and experience that you have to just be able to make those decisions, make the best decision you can and best diagnosis you can and move forward. But yeah, the kind of living with that fear of making a mistake that that can be tough but you won't escape that anywhere in medicine are there any major changes coming to the field of pathology that you think students should be aware of well i think the whole field and all of the major advances in genetics and genomics is huge most of these things that you hear about these you know even just targeted drug therapies, of which there are a plethora at this point, that's driven by molecular diagnostics. That is a specialty field that you can do a fellowship in, in pathology. So PATH kind of, kind of owns this in a lot of ways. And sure, as clinicians, you can order next-gen sequencing, but what's really fascinating is being able to make those calls, being able to make those diagnoses to learn all about the huge number of genetic abnormalities that are out there, both constitutional and acquired. So genetics, genomics, personalized medicine, that's kind of squarely in the pathology camp. That's a huge 
area that's only going to grow. I'd say probably informatics is the other big area. There's a big uh, push now in pathology for a subspecialty called computational uh, pathology. It's tied into informatics, also kind of squarely in the pathologist's realm. How do you use computers? How do you use artificial intelligence? How do you use visualization systems to make diagnoses and to contribute to diagnoses? So those are really forward-looking fields that, again, are squarely in the pathology camp. What would you tell a student, kind of parting words of wisdom, who may be interested in pathology now after this conversation? Well, bear in mind that we pathologists are very interested in getting and encouraging students to be interested in pathology. I mean, we are saddened, really, and kind of perplexed as to why U.S. grads are not turning to pathology as both a great career choice and kind of a, a great lifestyle choice as well. I mean, one of my mentors said that he had never met a pathologist who wasn't happy with his or her choice. And I can say that we see many switchers into pathology, and I count myself among them. I know of one or two patients who have switched out of pathology into clinical care. So it's really kind of one way into pathology. So I would just encourage students to get to know a pathologist. Maybe call the lab director if they have a patient. Let's say they're taking care of a patient with leukemia. Call the hematopathologist and ask to review those slides with them because there's insights that you can get that you cannot get just from reading a report. Yes, it's convenient. You go into the EMR and you look it up and you say, okay, that's what the pathologist thinks. But there's so many nuances. It can be, it can be eye-opening to actually sit with the pathologist and just understand what it is that you're seeing. All of a sudden, it's not just a whole bunch of cells and you can't make anything out of it. You can understand the patterns and you can then be empowered when you're on a medicine rotation or a peds rotation to look at those blood smears and say, yep, this is leukemia and here's why. So it doesn't need to be that you're going to go into PATH, but just having that background is tremendously helpful no matter what field you go into. So just reach out to a pathologist. I mean, we're, we're nice people for the most part and very interested in sharing our field. All right. So there you have it. Another great episode. I hope it was great for you learning all about pathology, learning all about residency, applications to residency, and much more. Again, if you liked this episode, if you like specialty stories, go back and listen to all of them if you haven't already to hear from the amazing physicians that we've had previously. But please share this with your classmates. That's the one thing I ask of you today. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.